Okay, and good evening, and welcome to tonight's panel uh, discussion with our pastors. The topic of tonight's panel is titled, A Biblical Perspective on Race, Social Justice, and the Gospel. My name is Van Steed, and I'll be your moderator for the evening. Uh, present on stage are pastors and ministry leaders uh, from here at Midtown Baptist Temple, and we're conducting this panel in light of the recent killings of Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Arbery, and George Floyd. Their deaths have sparked national outrage and discussion about police brutality, about race, and particularly how this affects people of color. Uh, there have been many responses to these events and subsequent questions have been raised about how to best address these issues. And our aim here for this evening is going to be to discuss this topic from a biblical perspective and to understand how Christians should process these events in light of the gospel mission. So before we get into the panel, we'll lay out the structure and talk about how we're going to address our questions tonight. Uh, the first thing you should know is that these questions were crowdsourced from you. Anyone was able to go online and submit questions, and these questions have since been synthesized, and they've been uh, read and optimized in order to be the most efficient with our time here today. Questions will be directed towards specific pastors or ministry leaders, and those individuals will have two to three minutes to answer the question that was directed to them. Uh, from that time, uh, an additional leader, after uh, the leader that was addressed is done, an additional leader can respond for up to a minute. So that will be our format for this evening. Uh, I'd be remiss if we didn't pray before we get into tonight's panel discussion, so let's do that, and then we'll open it up. So, Lord God, we are uh, grateful to be gathered here. I'm grateful to be looking out over brothers and sisters, people that I consider family. And, Lord, we're going to have a family discussion about these issues, and uh, the amazing thing is that in light of your word, we don't have to run from these issues, we can run to these issues with the right perspective, and so I, I pray that the questions that are asked, Lord, that we hear your words uh, from men of God that have studied and know your word. Uh, God, guide us and help us to understand how to proceed in these times. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. So our first question is going to be to Pastor Sam Miles, and uh, by way of introduction to the topic, would you please tell us what the Bible says about race, and would you also please tell us about what role racial diversity has in our church? Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> I apologize. Um, so... In terms of race, racial diversity, um, I hope we get, we're all part of Adam's race. There's actually one race, it's the human race. Um, we're all in Adam. And so there's a sense in which, biblically, we know that we're all cousins, right? We're all, even in terms of the flesh, we're brothers and sisters if we believe the Bible. We're all cousins. And you say, there's no way I can be related to anybody as ugly as you, Pastor Sam. Eh, if you go far enough back, we all had the same daddy, okay? Um, we had, uh, you know, all of us are descendants of Noah's sons, and before that, descendants of Adam. I'm, I've, for a long time, I've followed uh, Vadi, I'm blanking on his name now, Vadi Beecham. No, Beecham, am I pronouncing that right? Yeah. Um, he, uh, he can say it better than I can. Um, can we throw this in the, on the screen in the live stream, the video? No? Oh, okay. Thanks. Yeah, go ahead and play that. 
We are all the race of Adam. There is less than a 0.2% genetic difference between any of us in this regard. In fact, we're not even different colors. Now, amen. Technically, from a genetic perspective, from a biochemistry perspective, we're all actually the same color. Our color comes from our melanin. We've all got melanin just to differing degrees. So it's not that some of us are, you know, this color, some of us are that color, some of us, no, we're just different shades of the same color. Some of us just have more melanin than others, and I want you to, listen to me on this, listen to me. Just because you don't have as much melanin as I do, don't you dare think God doesn't love you as much as he loves me because he gave me more. So that's genius. That's brilliant. It's dead on. Uh, a lot of studies will say, in terms of the average, uh, you can make cases for an extreme 0.2% difference in our genetics. But the average, you just need to know it's a 0.1% difference. Um, we're all so much the same. Uh, so in terms of race, what most people mean are the nations or the people groups. And you can read about that in Genesis chapter 10. And that is a massive study that we can't cover the time that we have. In terms of the element of race at MBT, we're church for all peoples. And um, I'll just refer you back to our last session. Um, the function makes us richer. This is, our, this is one of the strengths of MBT. Duncan's my brother. I'm rich. Jeanette is my sister. Linda is my sister. I'm rich. Uh, sorry, Jeanette. Linda. <laughs> um, we're rich. Will Mata. Kenny's my brother. And uh, Dobson's my brother, too. I mean, we're rich. We're, we're rich. You ought to look at the person next to you and just tell them, I'm so glad God put you in my life. <laughs> I'm out of time. So we'll go ahead and have a one minute follow up from Pastor Brandon Briscoe. Um, I think said it when we were in service earlier tonight uh, as it concerns Ephesians chapter 2 um, we want to be fitly joined together that's not always going to be easy and we've got people that are not just different in terms of ethnicity but in terms of cultural experience I'm looking across the room and I see so many uh, young people from places all over the world and they're like oh America has a race issue and there's like they're discovering this probably some of them for the first time and and that's how divided some of these perspectives are. We just don't really, there's so much that we don't know about one another. But the beauty, I think, uh, in the vision of Scripture and uh, the vision that, that God has given Sam as it concerns the church at 40th and Walnut is that none of us have to be deterred by our differences and we don't have to be afraid of them. Not, not at all. We just have to learn the way family does to listen to one another and to speak to one another and not be quick to offense um, because God's, grow, God's growing us, 
And we've got an objective in, in, in hand. We have a great commission, and we ought not let anything get in the way of that. Really quick thing. Uh, one of the ways that we're really rich through our different ethnic backgrounds is some of the cooking here, okay? Um, if you've never ate anything that Linda has made, well, you're missing out. If you've never ate anything that Wagi has made, you're missing out. Will Mata knows how to throw down. I didn't learn any of this cooking in Southwest Missouri, just saying. <laughs> Southern cooking. We knew that, but that was it. Yeah. Our next uh, non-culinary question is for Del Thomas. <laughs> uh, Del, what has your experience been of race here at Midtown Baptist Temple, and how do you believe that we can continue to grow as a church as it concerns unity? Yeah, so my experience of race here is, uh, has always looked like this because I came from KCBT, and uh, it's, been, it's been very good, uh, just in terms of how people have received me. But I, I do want to say, like, I'm intentional about making sure that I have a lot of family. Uh, one of the things that I believe, you know, in 1 Peter 2.17, it says, honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king, right? So because I fear God, the first two, you get double, honor and love. And so essentially, I love being Uncle Dead almost, just because it, it says something about the way familial I'm going to respond to you. But it also means that I'm not going to, I don't have preferences, right? So if I'm Uncle Dell, I don't have preferences of white or black, or especially of black because that's what I am. And it also doesn't exclude gender or age, gender or age, right? So I have brothers and sisters in this place um, that, uh, yeah, I love very dearly. You know, I call Sam Pop on purpose. One, to small myself in the role that he has, but also he's leading our church and leading me. And so I'm going to allow him a space in my life to, like a father, right? And so that intentionality has blessed me greatly, but then also made it to where I can't walk past hardly any of you without high fives, hugs, fist bumps, elbow bumps, uh, hey, can I come over for dinner? I love that, though. You know, I mean, I love that, right? And so um, that's, kind of, that's kind of something I have and, and I've just hold on to. Uh, the other thing to answer the other in terms of continuing to grow in terms of unity, I, I think it's Romans 5.8, but God commendeth his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So the, the other part of being intentional in terms of unity is that I have to die. I'm not from the same place that a lot of you are from. I went to high school at Paseo. So culturally, I'm different than even other blacks in this church, right? Um, and I can't let those things be the reason why I'm going to have division with you. Man, I, I love uh, Monte Carlo SSs. I love Jordans. Some of you don't know what any of that is. <laughs> and I don't hate you for it. I'm disappointed, but uh, <laughs> I, don't, I don't hate you for it. And so I, and I'm, you know what? You guys have seen me with my flat brim hats. Sam doesn't despise me for that, right? And I, I've been to Miles Mountain. He's right. It is hillbilly. 
and I was thankful to be back in Kansas City. <laughs> that we, I made it back, but man, I, I was treated well, you know? And, uh, and so I just think if, if, if we die, you're going to be fine. Um, just die. That's all you got to do. For the record, there was a culinary aspect to that question. Did you catch it? <laughs> he loves it when people... When are we going to come to your house and eat, man? Uh, a one-minute follow-up from Eric Phillips. <laughs> okay, sure. Um, let me get myself together here. All right. Um, as a follow-up to that, I, okay, so the connection would be with what you were talking about. I want to read another question that I think was related to your response because I was looking at this question and I think it's relevant. So the question says, as someone who has experienced racism, what is the balance between keeping unity among believers by not becoming argumentative and being able to share my perspective on what is hurtful? And... I, so my thought on that is it kind of goes back to when I first met, when I first started interacting with Arab Muslims, because I had a lot of preconceived notions about Arabs um, early on, okay, because it was all informed by the media, right? And I can tell you just over the years and getting to know all of my friends, it's hard to hold on to those views because you develop a love for each other. And so I think in terms of the dialogue, the thing that's important is to make sure that you are pursuing the heart of the people that you're talking to. And if you make that the principal thing of pursuing their heart, um, it, it, it's people, I think people will reciprocate is what I'm saying. And, and I'm, I'm even experiencing this at work because my boss and I, we've had a lot of conversations about this. And she's, you know, she's older than me and she's a white lady, but, and we could not be more opposed <laughs> in terms of our views on different things. But it's amazing because we've become really very close, right? Like we talk every day about a lot of different issues. And um, it's because I'm pursuing her heart, right? And she's pursuing my heart. And what you find is when that happens, um, even though you may not come to an agreement on a particular issue, I still love you, right? And I can respect you as an individual. And it means that I'm gonna give consideration to what you're saying, even if I don't uh, fully come to an agreement uh, with what you're saying. I'm gonna give consideration, and then I'll just end with this, because I know it's supposed to be a one-minute follow-up. It's okay. I'm so glad you handed me the mic, though. Appreciate that. Amen. Uh, but I'll end with this, that you, winning an argument doesn't change a mind, right? And so these are, these are issues that are heart issues. And so I think connecting with people's hearts um, is the key, and I think that can be done through dialogue and, and unconditional love, in my opinion, is what changes hearts. Unconditional love. So that's, that would be my response to that. Perfect. Thank you so much. Our next question is for Pastor Kenny Morgan. As a person of color, how do you believe that the current state of affairs in our country, particularly in the areas of social justice and privilege, has the potential to impact our church and the gospel? 
So I've had, um, I've had two white men that I used to work with. They've reached out to me because they want to talk, they want to get together, because they want, to, they want to pick my brain on my perspective or my view of the incident in Minneapolis. So one of the guys I'm having dinner with tomorrow night, but I think the, maybe the expectation, um, and it's subtle, is that because I'm a black man, I get to take a pass from the word of God. So I get to view this, speak to this, and deal with this based on what I think and what I feel as a man of color. So in that respect, it doesn't matter what God has said because I'm black. So having said that, what I, what I think about all of this and, and with this question, I think that it's critical for us as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ to understand that we are in the Laodicean church age. And by definition, we're talking about the justice or the rights of the people. So in this church age, people are very passionate and very zealous about their personal rights. But here's the issue, because according to Romans 6.22, when we were made free from sin, we became the servants of God. Well, now I've got a problem because a servant has no rights. So if I'm a servant of God, and the Laodicean church age is passionate about the rights of the people, I got a choice to make. Am I going to be Laodicean or am I going to be biblical? The issue is, is whenever a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ begins to become more preoccupied with their rights versus their role as a servant, now we begin to break down in the church into different groups and factions, right? So now it's, I'm a black Christian, I'm a white Christian, I'm a female Christian, I'm a male Christian, I'm a Democrat Christian, I'm a Republican Christian. And whenever you do that, you cannot win with God. When has that ever worked? I mean, the church at Corinth, they were fractured and they were broken down into factions. I am of Paul. I am of Apollos. I am of Cephas. I am of Christ. They got nothing done for the glory of God because they lost sight of, of who they were in the Lord Jesus Christ as servants. And so as his servant, I'm at his service. So what is it that, that he would have me to do? And so if, if MBT in particular, if we get to the point where we begin to break down that way and we begin to allow what's happening in our country to divide us, and so now we are not a church of all peoples, but we are a church of blacks, we're a church of whites, we're a church of men, we're a church of women, we are a church of Democrats, we're a church of Republicans, we will get nothing of significance done for the glory of God whatsoever. It's interesting to me that with the exception of Paul's epistle to the Thessalonians, in every letter that he wrote to the churches, he introduced himself in one of three ways. 
either as a servant, as an apostle, or a prisoner. It was never Paul the Jew. It was never about who he was in the flesh. It was about who he was in Christ and what it was that God had called him to do. And I think that's how we have to view ourselves. It's, it's, it's not about who I am in the flesh. It's about who I am in Christ and what is it that he's called me to do? What has he called us to do? That, that's it. And the minute that any other interest, agenda, objective gets in front of that, we will grieve God. We absolutely will. And so I just, and so now it's, it's you know, we, we begin to, to address all these issues and in the flesh. Let me, let me just say this, okay? So in no way am I advocating social injustice or it's okay, it's not a big deal. It's awful. <laughs> it doesn't glorify God. It, it's terrible. It's not just. God is a God of justice. I, I get all that. But here's what we absolutely have to get as believers. If we miss this, we're in deep trouble. Listen very, very carefully. As a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you can never have righteous expectations of unrighteous people. You can't do that. You can't. The fruit of the Spirit of God, it produces things like love, joy, peace, goodness, meekness, it produces those kinds of things. But the Spirit of God produces those things. So why would I expect a lost person, whether it be a police officer, a co-worker, a family member, a neighbor, who is Christless, why would I expect them to exhibit the fruit of the Spirit when they don't have the Holy Spirit? It's, it's an unreasonable expectation. They can't do that. So this is why I am not shocked when I turn the TV on and I see things like we saw a few weeks ago in Minneapolis. Lost people think lost thoughts. They say lost things and they do lost things because they're lost. And so this is where now issues, you know, groups that are passionate about social justice and whatnot, this is where they fall miserably short is because the goal is somehow we're going to reform lost people without Christ. Can't do that. You can't accomplish that. Sam said it tonight. It's only Christ in them. Colossians chapter 1, Paul talked about how the gospel worked in the believers that the gospel works in people it brings it brings about change in people you saw as a perfect example here's a man who hated christians was as racist as you could be against believers when then he meets christ gets saved and all of a sudden he loves them that's the answer and so i just it, it breaks my heart and i agree with sam and i'm and i see it and i hear it it breaks my heart and man, if you're here, I hope you heard this tonight, but if you, are, if you were thinking that the gospel was not enough, you're in trouble. <laughs> you're going to lose your mind. If the gospel is not enough, I don't know what is. 
And so, you know, just to make sure I, I address your question, it, it, it's not about Jew or Greek, circumcision, uncircumcision, uh, barbarian, Scythian, bond or free, Christ is all and in all. And I, I don't have any other perspective or input apart from that. And if we step away from that to weigh in on this, address this, deal with this, we're in trouble. Thank you. Uh, this next question kind of ties into the previous question. This will be directed to Pastor James Fife, uh, which is what role does social justice play in a biblical worldview? And then what are the responsibilities in a season like the one that we find ourselves in as Christians? Yeah, um, what can you just say? <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Um, you know, humanity started in a, in a perfect society, right? God put it in a garden with him, in communion with him, walking with him without sin. And yet still, a deceiver was able to come in and convince them that they needed something that they didn't have. So even in a perfect society, wickedness gets into the hearts of men and causes rebellion. So society is not the answer. Fixing the society, no matter how good we make society here, will never fix, fix the hearts of people. Because even in that situation, wickedness came in. Uh, and you get out of the garden, and, and the first murder happens when biological brothers, one gets his eyes off of what God had said and sees a, you know, something that his brother has and he doesn't, and, the, and, and murder comes in. And it wasn't a race issue, and it never is. It's a, it's a wickedness of the heart issue that gets hidden in many other, you know, call it whatever, put it in a lot of different places. And, uh, and God began to deal with his people, and he laid, out kind of, he laid out rules for society. He told us how it should look and how his people should work. In Leviticus 19, he said, But the stranger that dwelleth with you shall be unto you as one born among you, and thou shalt love him as, as thyself. And this is the way that God instructed his people to deal with society. It was that when you look at others, you look at them individually. You start with you, and you look at one other person, and you say... It doesn't matter who they are, stranger, however they look, you see them as yourself, and then you love them as yourself. And that was God's instruction for creating a society, uh, and then he set up a bunch of, uh, of specific guidelines to help with that. You back up in Leviticus, just a couple verses, he says this, thou shalt not hate thy brother in thine heart, and thou shalt, uh, but thou shalt in any wise rebuke thy neighbor, thou shalt not suffer sin upon him. And so what God was saying is this, love your neighbor, but don't suffer sin. And this is, 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 is what he was laying out through the entirety of the Old Testament and for a few thousand years. He, the focus was on building a physical kingdom, was building a kingdom on this earth. And even in all of that, with God's input and influence in it, man continued to rebel and, and fell, right? And things shifted with Christ. And here's the, here's the point. Our focus isn't on building that physical kingdom. Our kingdom and our fight isn't about social justice first and foremost. Our, our fight is, is the souls of men in a spiritual kingdom that God is building and that we have been called to be a part of. Now, just like in the Old Testament, should I look at my neighbor and stand up for their rights and, and, and love them as, as I would love myself? Absolutely. 
But when that becomes the priority of our lives, when that becomes our focus over and above the spiritual kingdom that God has called us to build, then we have a wrong focus. When our mission focus becomes social justice, and we're doing hospitals and programs that, and, and making sure that everyone's equal, instead of making sure that everyone gets the gospel, then we've missed our call. Mm-hmm. We're doing the work that was given to a, a different dispensation, not to us at all. Mm-hmm. God will deal with that. So yes, we absolutely do have, um, as Sam said earlier, you can't legislate the hearts of men. You can't legislate righteousness. Stand up for what's right. That's our responsibility. And at the same time, don't tolerate sin. Uh, And don't fall into sin yourself in your process of trying to stand up and uh, defend what is right. And, uh, And here's the deal, too. You know, God will establish a kingdom on this earth, and for a thousand years, we'll have a kingdom again. And even after that kingdom, at the end of that, a deceiver will be let loose, who still will be able to come in and deceive the hearts of men, probably with a social justice platform that says, hey, and this isn't right. You were not a Jew. Things aren't right. We should rebel against this. And we'll still start a fight and cause a problem, right? So, uh, so what do we do with that? Well, we preach the gospel. I know you've heard that a lot tonight. That's, where, that's what it comes back to. And we make that our heart and our life to everybody. And we see each as ourselves and we love them that way. Thank you. Our next question is for fellowship leader Mitch Dobson, uh, which is what do you think of the topic of white privilege? Is this something we should be aware of in our church and how should it frame or impact the way that we interact with people of color in ministry or life? Yeah, so, I mean, white privilege is a thing. Um, I struggled with the concept or maybe the terminology for a while because I, uh, I feel like the things in my life I've worked for, right, or I've, I've been blessed by God and it's not because of my skin color. And, and there was a moment uh, many decades ago, actually, where I was unable to fellowship with a brother in Christ the way I wanted to fellowship because of his skin color, he couldn't go where we were going to go, and that was really eye-opening for me, that, that his skin color would prevent him from fellowshipping, and of course, we changed our plans because of that, and, and we see this. I experienced it not all, that, not all that long ago. I was standing in a store waiting to be uh, served, waiting to be, you know, I was waiting my turn in queue, if you will, and the uh, worker, the clerk, came to me before a black man that was clearly there before I was. And it took me by surprise. And, and maybe there's been some sort of event like that for, for the, the Caucasians in the room where it's, it's, it's awkward, you f- maybe get a, a pit in your gut, um, and, and it's something that has to be dealt with. And, and Paul does a great job, but, you know, white privilege at its core is an, uh, you know, kind of an unmerited benefit, right? And Paul deals with this. He uses that unmerited benefit that he has in his Roman citizenship uh, for the gospel. And in 1 Corinthians 9, he says, For though I be free from all men, a free citizen, yet have I made myself servant unto all that I might gain the more. He then uh, compares himself to Jews, uh, those under the law, those that aren't under the law, uh, weak. It doesn't matter who it is. He's going to assimilate himself to them 
to use the benefits that he has to bring them to Christ, and he, and he wraps it up, and this I do for the gospel's sake, that I might be, ta- be partaker thereof with you. And so, you know, look, I mean, the concept of white privilege and fighting against white privilege would be literally like pressing a deluge of water uphill. I'm not going to change that socially. That's been addressed. But, but if, I can, if I can put a spin on the things that have been talked about with Sam and some of the others, it's not just preaching Christ, but it's actually using the situation to abase yourself, to connect with someone else, and as a result of saying, no, this gentleman was first, not me, and, and, and just addressing it, right? I, I, I guess I'll, if you will, gained a brother in that moment. And I think if we're mindful, if we look through the spiritual eyes like that, we'll see ministry opportunities around us, right? And you can take what is otherwise socially awkward and turn it into a platform for the gospel. Uh, follow up from Jeff Grisher. No, okay, here is you hear what he's saying. In honor, we're going to prefer one another better than ourselves. Uh, you know, because it, man, it's a privilege to have each other in our lives. That, that's the privilege in God's kingdom, in God's family, in God's house. Our next question is for Pastor Chris Best, which is, is it okay for Christians to respond with political action to injustice? And if so, what is the framework for doing that? All right. So, so this question is about Christians. Okay, how should Christians act? And so I'm just going to speak to the Christians here. So should or shouldn't they, we... Uh, respond with political action to injustice, and if so, how do we do that? So, um, 1 Corinthians 10.23 says, all things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but all things edify not. So, if all things are lawful, well then, yeah, then it's okay for Christians to to respond with political action to injustices, and I think history itself gives us examples like William Wilberforce, uh, Wilberforce who, who was saved in 1795 and then spent the rest of his time in legislature in, in England working to abolish slavery. So there was a Christian man politically active. Uh, William Carey in India legislated, worked with the Indian legislator to get sati, the, the act of burning a widow on her husband's dead husband's funeral pyre, uh, worked to get that practice uh, abolished and made illegal. Um, Martin Luther King Jr. was a a preacher who became, obviously, one of the most influential political figures in our country. And and so I think history itself gives us a lot of examples um, of that. I, I think our country itself almost expects it. Okay, so our country, in our Constitution, we have the right to assemble. We have the right to free speech. If we don't like our politicians, we're not stuck with them, what do we do? We go vote. That's, that's in, in fact, if, if, if it's, you can go run for office yourself. 
you know, and, and we live in a country where it's almost an expectation that that we're going to do that. But but that's the easy part of the of the question. The second part is, well, what about Christians specifically? How are Christians? How are we to be different than than everyone else? And I think that the framework, obviously, for us, is the Word of God. As Christians, the 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 Bible is our authority. Okay, what do we believe? What do we do? Well, I don't know. Let me go check. Book, chapter, verse, and, and then I, I know what to do and how to live. So for us, the framework of how we're to do this, we find in Scripture. Now, it's a big book, right? So, and, and a lot of people will just use the Bible to do whatever they want. Okay, so let me give us a couple principles here. The, the first one is this. Uh, yes, do something. Get involved. But listen, don't sin. All right, so you never have to disobey the Word of God to obey the Word of God. All right, so you find a way. We find a way to do what needs to be done. We do it biblically. So we, we don't sin. We don't become zealots who justify doing wrong because we feel so strongly about something. Who, you know, and, and, and really, Romans chapter 2 who art thou that judgest? You know, thou art inexcusable, O thou that judgest. For wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself. For thou that judgest doest the same things. Okay, well, so if it's wrong to kill, then it's wrong to kill. If it's wrong to oppress, then it's wrong to oppress. And so we have to be able to engage in some sort of action politically with respect to the authorities, like Romans 13, Romans 13 says, we need to be motivated by love and mercy. Okay, the love of God constrains us. I beseech you by the mercies of God that you do something, right? We know that the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. So our motivation needs to be right. We can't steal. We can't lie. We can't speak evil. We can't cause division in the body. Yea, seven things are an abomination. You know what the seventh one is? He that that soweth discord among the brethren. Okay, so, so, so that's the first principle is, is, you know, do what you can do while still being obedient to God's word as God's people. Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can drive out darkness. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can drive out hate. Does that sound familiar to anybody? That was Martin Luther King Jr. who said that. Those are good words. That's, that's first John. God is light. God is love. We as God's people, we follow God's commandment. That's how we love others. Okay, the second principle is don't get distracted. Don't get discouraged, divided, disgruntled, discharged from the mission that God has given the church. Okay, so to the extent that injustice is the disease, political action may well be the prescription. But for us as Bible believers, understanding spiritual authority and spiritual reality, I mean, injustice is actually a symptom of the disease, the lost state of man. The world lieth in darkness. The world lieth in wickedness. Men are, are dead in sin, and, and lost people act like that. And we see injustice, and it's a symptom of the disease, and as time gets closer and closer to the end, we see those symptoms getting worse and worse and worse. But the cure for this 
is the same thing we've been talking about. When Jesus came, he won us the victory over sin and death in Colossians chapter 2. He spoiled principalities and powers. He made a show of them openly. He triumphed over the enemy. He conquered sin. He conquered death. Well, then why is everything so dark? Why is there hatred? Why is there murder? Why is there racism? Why is everybody so angry? Well, because the devil is still alive and well and functioning, even though he's a a defeated foe. Well, why? Jesus, why is it so bad? Are you slack concerning your promises, Jesus? Are you not coming back? No. What's the answer? He's not slack concerning his promises, but he's long-suffering toward usward, not willing that any should perish. The reason we are still on this planet is to fulfill the mission he's given us because he doesn't want anyone to perish. We were dead in our sins, and if he wouldn't have made space for the church age, we would have perished in that state. And, and as those that are motivated by love, I look at the TV screen and I see all this craziness, and you know what? I just need to see souls. Not melanin, not political parties. I can't be polarized. I just need, I need to be motivated by the love of God, not willing that any should perish. That's why we're here. So the cure for the disease of lost man being dead in their sin is the gospel. It's the mission. It's making disciples. It's simply staying on task and not getting distracted. And that's the second principle is we just need to stay on track and not get distracted from this. And I would just, you know, the, the, the guys that have pointed out, this is an opportunity for us to connect with people with where they're at. If someone's hurting, man, there's an opportunity for me to show forth the love of Christ. I received great consolation, great comfort. I can now show great comfort. I've received great grace. I can show great grace. I've received great love. I can show great love. And so can you if... We, as Christians, act differently than everyone else is acting right now. So those are the principles. Thank you, Pastor Bess. So, yeah, I mean, if somebody has an opportunity and a, an ability to, to act politically, praise the Lord, take the open door that God gave you. Um, wonderful. As a church, we don't want to get off mission. We're ministers of reconciliation. Yeah, that's good. Way more than three minutes, but good. That's really good. Uh, I have to do, the other reason I have to do this is um, I know you guys are all, just for the record, you guys are all socially distanced really well. Um, But whoever set up these chairs was so focused on our unity, they got a little carried away. And so in the words of our mayor, we got a little carried away and we're really too close together. I feel like I'm sandwiched in between a bunch of big bodies here, but um, all these, I'm just smothered in men right now. Um, So we we just got carried away and and we're we're committed to the CDC guidelines. Just, does that make sense? I didn't set these chairs up. Um, we just got carried away. We'll, we'll do, we're we're going to do better than this down the road. I throw you under that bus. Okay, that, it, it's time to throw Brandon under the bus. So we're going to we're committed to social distancing. From, yeah. So there we go. Okay. And remind me to say that again at the end. So, okay. Thank you. I'm going to move very quickly past 
the comet smothered in men, and on to (laughs) (laughs) Pastor Andrew Ong. Our next question is for you. How do internationals see what is happening here in the United States? Is there fear, and do they see this as an American problem or or a worldwide problem? So if you've been uh, following the news, uh, you would see that uh, right now there's more than 50 countries that are following suit, you know, with the protests and vandalism, with defacing, you know, monuments and statues and, and so on. And, and so there, there is definitely a huge outcry uh, for justice and, and they see injustice. And, and, and really, uh, what I'm hearing and what I'm seeing is that, you know, the world is, is crying for justice, if you will, justice in this world. And, and it's a real thing. And, and we already heard, you know, Satan doesn't play fair, right? The symptom of sin and, and, and the, the deceitfulness of Satan is always to cause division and so to get people to be distracted with things that are not spiritual, right? And uh, I, I, guess, I guess, you know, whether you're surprised or not, but, but it affects even uh, the believers who are internationals all across the world, right? That, that they are being pulled into this, man, we want justice now, even in their own country, and they, you know, they want to seek justice in their, in their country. And so I want to point you to, to Romans chapter 12, uh, Romans chapter 12, and, and verse 19, and, and during Paul's time, I mean, there was injustice, great injustice, I mean, just severe cruelty from the Emperor Nero. And this is what Paul has to say about ultimate justice. You see, because God is a God of justice. Do you know that, right? I think we know that. God is a God of justice. He's God of love, but he's also a God of justice. And in verse 19, it says, Dearly beloved, avenge not yourself. So this is to the Christians, right? So the Christians, man, okay, yes, we we do see injustice everywhere. It's not fair. It's not fair. But you know what? You know, God is looking. Nothing escapes God. So, so here's, here's, here's what it says. But rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. Oh my goodness. I mean, as Christians, we can seek comfort in that one verse that there will be ultimate justice served by our Lord. And, and if, you, if you read, you know, just when this, you know, second coming of Jesus Christ, this time it's not baby Jesus, right? Uh, this time, I mean, this is flaming fire. I mean, this is blood. I mean, this is, this is the terror of the Lord. And so we persuade men. This is what we've been talking about. We persuade men with what? Well, with social justice with the gospel of Christ. And so, so Paul says, therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. Whoa, that's hard. Uh, if he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. And verse 21 says, be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. And uh, man, I mean, I think we know that to some degree, but my goodness, 
That's a hard ask, isn't it? That's a hard ask because, man, if someone, you know, do me wrong, man, my, my knee-jerk reaction is like, man, let's fight. Let's, let's go to battle. I want, I want justice, right? But yet, this is what the Lord has instructed us to do. And that's why in the beginning of Romans chapter 12, it says, man, you got to die. The only way is to die. Just as Jesus, when he was on the cross, remember? I mean, after everything that was done to him, all the injustice, I mean, just, I mean, you can read all about it in the gospel. Spit, I mean, just falsely accused, hung on the cross. And what did he say? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Man, we need to die. And that's what God, you know, that's what people needs to see in us, right? That's what people need to see in us, and they, they, they need to see us loving in our enemies, right? Seeing the difference, and man, still be able to love, be able to hear people out, be able to empathize and win them, right? Win them to Christ. And so, you know, practically speaking, it's, you know, we, we got to die to ourselves. We got to give unconditional love. We got to die you know, daily, right? It's not a one-time thing. It's every day you wake up and you got to choose between your agenda or God's agenda. And if it's God's agenda, man, then I got to decide to die. And that's through the renewing of the word in our mind and then, and then reach our heart. Thank you, Pastor. Uh, our next question is for Pastor Wilmato. What is the experience of the Hispanic Christians in Kansas City and our church, and what can NBT do better to understand and minister alongside the Latinos in our church? All right, you got three questions. Uh, <clears throat> experiences, if you want to hear my experiences. Uh, uh, I'm changing tires in Firestone. I've been independent, and uh, I'm reading a little black book, and this man walked from my back, and he's like, go back to Iraq. Stop reading the Quran. And I'm like, oh, okay. I'm like, I'm just reading a book. <laughs> I'm driving with my wife and, uh, and somebody honk. And my wife is like, oh, I think that man want to talk to you. And I'm like, sure. I put the window down. You need to go back to, uh, I don't know if it was Afghanistan or something like that. And I'm like, oh, I'm Latino. I'm from Costa Rica. <laughs> Caribbean, rice and beans. I'm like, there's no... Well, go back to your country. And my wife is like, you know, it, it, that happens. You know, I went to Istanbul and somebody, you, you, you speak Italian. And I'm like, oh, now I'm Italian. Io parlo italiano. Io parlo italiano, mi amico. And now I'm Italian, you know. I, I went to Iraq and they think that I'm Palestine, you know. And then they go after me because I'm in a mission and they think that I'm from Palestine. So experiences I got much, plenty. <laughs> Now, my brothers and sisters here in Kansas City, I don't know. I believe everyone has a, a history, a, a something, you know, but I know who am I in Christ. So, and, and that doesn't define me. I got one minute and three, 30 seconds, so I want to respect 30 minutes. But watch this. Uh, this is what I can tell you. If you started your book, I want you to open the Bible in Acts chapter 10. If you want to talk about racial systems and, and, and drama, Acts Act chapter 10, you got the Rums and, and the Jew and the Greek, you know, you got a drama. And Mr. Peter, 
the guy opened his lips and he poured down a couple of verses and um, go to uh, chapter uh, 10, verse 34 and 35. And this is what Mr. Peter says. Watch this out. Then Peter opened his mouth, right? We, we have the right to speak, right? But watch what he says. And he says, of a truth I perceive that God is no respecter of a person. But in every nation, Costa Rican, Puerto Rican, Mexican, Dominican, and Jeremy Cam, the, the singer, you know, watch this. <laughs> but in every nation, he had feared him. And work righteousness, watch this, is accepted with him. So that answer, the third question, what MBT can do? Don't tell Will Mata, the Hispanic pastor, or the, just call me brother, you know? Every time that you see a person, that's your brother and sister. Mm -hmm. uh, I got three minutes and two seconds. I can keep talking, but just see us as one more, right? Done, we're brothers. We love each other. We need to reach every nation. That's it. Three minutes, 14 seconds, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> We're giving out awards at the end. Most concise goes to Bomada. <laughs> Our next question is for uh, uh, Ministry Leader Del Thomas. How do you suggest that black people perceive the police considering some of the fears that they have? When I read this question, I was like, for real? <laughs> Um, okay, so we, we got to go to Scripture first before I say anything. And the other thing I have to consider, I, ho I hope he's watching, there's a friend of mine that I work with that um, does police work, white guy, and we had a, a little bit of a heated discussion this week about it just because I was trying to explain to him what the perception is uh, from some of the people that are, that are protesting. And what he gave me was the perception from a police officer's viewpoint. That's his fraternity. That's his brotherhood. And I appreciate that. And I, and I love the guy. Man, we, I mean, we, we have a background that's similar in, uh, in our craft. And so um, we really get on well. And one of the things that he was vulnerable about is um, it's hard to move from one event to the next. From one event, you have um, maybe you were at a child murder, and now you have to respond to another call, and you never forgot that child murder situation. And I, and I have experienced a lot of things, but I have not experienced that. And because he's my friend, it just gave me a heart that's like I appreciated the vulnerability by which he spoke. That, and, I, and, and of course, my natural response was, but your mistake makes me dead when you show up and see my skin, right? And I just held it because like he was saying, like I know the training sometimes forces us to just act in force. And he's like, and I don't always agree with some of the training that we get. I was, I'm hearing that right from a white man's voice about like maybe there are some things that could, that could change and so I, I really appreciated that, and uh, we were talking today, and I was giving an opportunity just to say, like, what my, to see him as an authority, and uh, because they are agents of the law, of the land, 
So here's what it says in Romans 13. Let every soul, every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power, resisteth the ordinance of God. And they resist, shall receive to themselves damnation, for rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Wilt thou then not be afraid of, their, of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. For he is a minister of God to thee for good. But if thou do which is evil, be afraid, for he beareth not the sword in vain. For he is a minister of God, a revenger, to executeth wrath upon him that doeth evil. And I know in, our, in my community, you know, people would say, but some of these killings, no, nothing was done, right? Like, there wasn't anything uh, done that, that led to this. And, so, and to that I would say, 1 Peter 3.8, finally be ye all of, my, of one mind, have compassion one of another, love his brother, and be pitiful, be courteous, not rending evil for evil, or railing, being slanders for, for, for railing. I don't answer back that same way. But contrarywise, blessing, knowing that ye are thereunto called, that ye should inherit a blessing. For he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips, that they speak no guile. Let him eschew or avoid evil and do good. Let him seek peace and ensue or follow after it. For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous. And his ears are open unto their prayers, but the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. And he, and, and who is he that will harm you if you be followers of that which is good? But now listen to answer to, but and if ye suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye, and be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Having a good conscience that whereas they speak evil of you as of evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation. How? In Christ, not in blackness, not in social justice, in Christ. For it is better if he will be, excuse me, will of God be so that you suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing. And I love this. This just caps the whole thing. For Christ also hath once suffered for sins. The just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. See, my response is, being, being that I live in Prairie Village, you know, there, um, I can remember that before I lived there and was paying taxes there and just being followed, and I remember this officer just followed me into the parking lot, hung out, I got out of the car, and when I unlocked the door, then he pulled off, right? So this is a reality that I have to live by, but I have not ever been hurt or killed or beat because, man, I'm meek. I want to get out of that situation. And it's not right that I have to deal with it, but the thing is, is that as a representative of Christ, I get to teach something. I realize that I'm an educator. 
moving into the community that I moved in is predominantly white. For those that have been to my neighborhood, you know how that is. So I have a situation one time. I come home in this setup, you know, it's kind of funny. I come home. There's, two, there's a police car. And, of course, being black, it's on my radar. I'm noticed, right? So I'm like, okay, let's just see how this goes. So I have a Caprice, strike one. A white T-shirt on, strike two. I back my Caprice into my, my garage. I open the garage door. Policeman walks up to my, to my uh, house and says, do you live here? And, I, and immediately, I, it's like, it's rising. The attitude is coming. And I just, for some reason, I just responded in kind and just said, yes, it is. He said, well, your alarm's been going off, and we want to just make sure we do a run-through before we go in and uh, check it out. So then I was like, relief. But I'm embarrassed still because this policeman at my house, the black guy, and my white neighbor had already hit me on the text. Dell, I'm freaking out. What's going on? So they do this walkthrough. What had happened was the do front door blew open because I didn't lock it because I don't know, somehow I adopted white tendencies. But I, I, didn't, I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't do that, right? So it blew open. <laughs> and so the alarm goes off. So they go in and walk through. Everything looks like it's going okay until the officer walked back out. When the one, there was a lady officer and a male officer. The lady officer was fine. She checked it out, heading back to the car. The male officer comes back to me and says, so what do you do for a living? Because what am I doing here? And then strike three, I was in school at the time, not working. I just need a pit bull in here. This will just make this perfect. <laughs> right? But because, again, because I responded a particular way, he left. Never came back. Haven't been harassed since. And so what I would say to blacks and really to Christians, because I can't, again, we can't hold people who don't have Christ to any kind of standard. They're going to do what they're going to do. But to black Christians, absolutely, you have the Lord as an advocate on your side. And be meek. Man, be, don't, don't respond. I, I have all my stuff ready, my documents. If I was speeding, just own it. Man, I, I want, again, I want to get out of that situation because you know what the thing is? They have things on their mind, too. They have marriage problems. They have money problems. They're underpaid for the job that they do. They don't know me. They're making a snap decision of what also social media has told them about me. So somebody has to win. I feel like because I have Christ, I'm gonna, I'm, I have the opportunity. And so every encounter I've ever had with the law has always worked out well. Maybe a warning. Maybe a pat. Hey, see you later. Maybe a situation like that that's uncomfortable, right? Where you want to remind me that I'm in a place that you wouldn't normally see me. Right? But that's, that's the reality of the situation. The thing is, the word of God is going to back me up. And so I think if you, if you do, if you respond meek, meekly, if you have your affairs in order, you, you do the things, man, it's, it's going to work out. But if not, and you suffer 
the Lord has taken note. Now, that individual has to come face to face with your father in heaven. Right? And so, I, that's what I say to do. Thank you, Bill. We've got four remaining questions, and so in the interest of time, I'll ask that we uh, answer these next ones uh, briefly. Uh, the next one is for Pastor Sam Miles. <laughs> briefly. Okay. Is there a reason that predominantly African-American churches are not well represented in the Living Faith Fellowship, and is this because we may have not have done a good job of reaching out to them? Yeah, that's, that's, that's probably it. <laughs> um, you know, the fellowship's a loose fellowship, and there's not actually been any active recruiting anywhere. And so it's all been based on who knows who. And uh, you invite people in. And, and, and also, the, the, um, the who we are is kind of built into the website, and so people can look at that and assess whether or not you know, that's how they want to roll. So, you know, everybody that's part of the Living Faith Fellowship, they've self-selected. And uh, there's probably been invitations from a friend. Uh, I know of one, not predominantly, it was, it, it, it's a black church uh, here in town, and, and uh, the pastor, the pastor's predecessor um, was a good friend to me, black pastor. Uh, when I was going through a rough time, he was my friend and um, really uh, mentored me through a few things here when I was starting out as the senior pastor here at MBT. And uh, I'll, I'll be eternally grateful to him. He's with the Lord now. Um, but he and I were good friends. Um, his predecessor um, and I became good friends through the Citywide Prayer Network. And and uh, developed a relationship, had several meals together, and, um, and he was having problems uh, at his church. And the church had a ton of potential, but they had gotten off mission, and it had gotten very, uh, you know, very fractured. And uh, they were starting to eat him alive, and it was putting stress on him, his wife, and he wanted to know you know, how we as a multicultural church, how were we growing the way that we were growing and doing what we're doing and, and uh, just wanted to pick my brain. And I made a impassioned plea for biblical discipleship and um, begged him to come with me to the discipleship conference, you know. And uh, he's like, yeah, this sounds good. This is what we need. But, you know, he was embroiled in the controversy in his church and Long story short, I couldn't, I couldn't get him there. And, um, and uh, you know, he's not in the pastorate there. He got fed up, took a staff position in another church, and um, is thriving now, but I'm heartbroken for his, for his church. Um, if they could have gotten a vision for biblical discipleship, gotten on mission, uh, what, what could that have been in terms of a force here in Kansas City. Um, the way that we run, we just, the, one of the problems that we have in the Living Faith Fellowship is, um, you know, really all of the advertising 
um, we cover it, and it's all through Facebook, you know. And so it's really just uh, thank God for Brandon Briscoe. <laughs> He's running the the you know. So if so, every, the way everything's framed, it's a y'all come, and for whatever reason, we don't have. We've got multicultural churches that are apart, but predominantly or all black churches uh, have not made the jump. And uh, man, that's a shame. Um, you know, if, if somebody has insight and the capacity, praise the Lord, because the fellowship is a loose fellowship. And the invitation is to anyone, if you self-select, this is what we believe. We're built around mission, discipleship, training and equipping. If you want to be a part of that, if we can help each other, great. And, and, and the black churches aren't self-selecting or they're not getting the message or they're, in other words, what's working in this loose fellowship in terms of the invitation to churches, it's not working there. So um, pray and uh, pray for the resources. You know, maybe we can do a better job with the invitation, you know. Um, but uh, I can't keep up with what I got on my plate already, you know. But at the same time, if, if there is some insight that somebody has, uh, what would be great is, is we trust the Lord for a black church that got on fire for discipleship, training, and mission, and wanted to be a part of helping with that, and then, you know, they could help us with that invitation. That would be beautiful, just beautiful. So it's, it's a weakness, um, unfortunately, stereotypically. It's a weakness. Thank you, Pastor. Yeah. Our next, next question is for Pastor Jeff Grasher. Uh, are there ways in which we can better invest in urban youth, and is there a plan to focus attention on better reaching the black community in Kansas City as a whole? Y yeah, I think a lot of the principles that Sam just said are, are pretty similar to youth ministry, I'll say um, it sounds like a parent question, at least the first part, like reaching the urban youth. And I, I think I would be open to conversing about ways to do that. Um, our team, the youth ministry team, has a burden for urban youth. I mean, we're here in the heart of the city and, you know, we want to reach the people in our community um, more effectively. Um, but I'll, I'll say the vision of the youth ministry at MBT is to, to make disciples, um, to mentor students that, that turns into adult discipleship and um, establishing those four goals into the students. And if you bring your students to this church, well, they're, they're our priority. Um, and they are actually the, the mechanism or the tool that we want to use to reach the urban youth um, because we're not a parachurch organization. We're not a boys and girls club that solely exists to reach urban youth. We're a church. And so uh, we try to identify that way. We try to function that way where we're ministering to the teens that are here at Midtown so that they'll reach out to everyone who's in their sphere of influence. Um, and so I, I don't know that I can say there are strategies that we're thinking about thinking through to reach the black community. I will say I would, I would love to do more. I mean, I would love to partner with local high schools. I would love to do that. Josh works at an urban high school here in town. I work at a predominantly black school. And so we have access to, to communities like that, but we, I mean, we're all pretty 
limited in our capacity. And so we would love to partner with people in the church to reach the community as best as we possibly could to reach teens for Christ, black, white, and everyone else. Thank you, Pastor. Oh. Oh. Uh, I, I, I answered both of them. <laughs> oh, I get one more minute. I could just preach. Okay. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Thank you, Pastor. Uh, our next question is for Pastor Brandon Briscoe. Uh, black Lives Matter is both a human rights organization and a statement in support of black people. Can you give us your perception of the differences between uh, these two and why that distinction is or is not important? Yeah, so Black Lives Matter uh, mat- or matters um, as a statement uh, is, a, is a moral imperative for the Christian. Um, in other words, we don't, need to, we don't need to parse words about that. I know there's a lot of uh, silly uh, debate about uh, the difference between that statement and all lives matter. Um, but I think when we say Black Lives Matter as a, as a moral statement, what we're saying is that we identify or acknowledge the fact that, uh, that the blacks in our community and, and in, our, in our country are under a, a particular amount of duress uh, and, and maybe even so right now. And so I don't think there's any uh, problem with uh, doing our best to identify that and say, man, uh, you do matter to me as a specific individual. Um, but I think beyond that, I think it's really important for us to remember, you know, once upon a time, uh, it was common when you referred to, to, to people uh, to refer to them as souls, right? Uh, we lost that somewhere along the way. You know, 100 years ago in America, uh, when someone died, uh, a soul died. Uh, when you're speaking to a person, you maybe often refer to them as a soul. And I think uh, we've gotten in the habit of speaking in terms of the flesh. And... Um, and so just, just briefly, uh, Psalm 139 reminds us of verse 14. says, I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. And so what we see here in this passage is that, that a person is made, that God makes them, that they're fearfully and wonderfully made, but, but David, the psalmist, refers to himself as a soul. And uh, so... So we've got to remember that we're in, we're in the business of considering people in terms of their soulishness. And, uh, and so when we say black lives matter, what we really should be saying as a Christian in, in our mind or in our heart is black souls matter. And when someone dies, someone like George Floyd dies, what should grieve us the most is the fact that we don't know where he's at eternally. That should grieve us the, the most. And, and that should really pain us is that we've lost, when we lose a black life, we actually lose the opportunity as Christians to minister to that soul. It is, it's been snuffed out, and we've been robbed of bringing in the sheaves, if you will. You know, uh, bring, uh, we, there's, a soul, uh, there's a harvest that's, that's white and ready for us, and when a life is taken, then we no longer have the opportunity to bring that into the storehouse. And, and so we really should be thinking that way in terms of Black Lives Matter. It's, it's, really, it's because souls matter. The other thing is that, that the organization Black Lives Matter uh, is actually, um, you know, uh, it's a fractured organization. In other words, they're, they're, they have, they have a, a statement, they have a, they have a mission statement, but in terms of organization, they're purposely disorganized. And that's so that, that each chapter or see each group in our nation, whether it be in Minneapolis or Kansas City, uh, they actually uh, are allowed to kind of dictate as they see fit how to respond to any given situation. 
And in many regards, you don't have to do much research, you see that that incites violence. They're, they're silently, quietly, because of their disorganization and their anger, uh, quietly inciting violence in cities. And ultimately, uh, they're socialistic in nature and atheistic in nature. And so uh, we, we as Christians need to be really careful about when we say Black Lives Matter, that we're making sure to be careful not to associate ourselves with the, the movement as a whole. Because uh, I, do, I do believe as a Christian that it is a, it is a dangerous movement in that regard and, and ultimately could do harm to our country. Um, I will say this, that, uh, that in terms of, of protest, I know that there's a lot of people that maybe feel convicted about being a part of the protest in certain ways and, and what to say and, and how to handle yourself. I want to first of all suggest that, that uh, you, need to, you need to check your spirit and you just need to make sure that you're doing of the right spirit. In other words, if you get there and you find yourself angry, uh, well, that's not love. And, uh, and so you need to check your motivations in that regard. If you're doing something in the spirit, it's going to be done in love, patience, kindness, gentleness, meekness, etc., etc. I want to read this, this verse. There's no, there's no greater form of protest than the following, okay? Mark 16, 15 says, And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. That's the greatest form of protest. And if you're going to tell me that I need to go protest, and you're going to tell me that, there's a, that, that, that uh, Christ would have me to live in terms of a social justice prerogative, um, I think that, that the person that would tell you that or insist that, um, I, would, I would ask them how many people they've witnessed to in the last week because that is our greatest form of protest. So they want you to go protest, people want you to go protest, um, but, but what are they, what are, what's actually their priority, you know? Um, we're called to minister the gospel, and, uh, and I'm just foolish enough to believe that we can win Kansas City to Christ, and I, and I hope you feel that way too. Thank you, Pastor. Our final question uh, is uh, for Pastor Kenny Morgan. Uh, would you give, a, give us the final word on this issue and maybe synthesize some of the various uh, charges and wisdom that we've heard tonight? Yeah, a few things. One, sorry? Yes, sir. Um, one is this. We, we, we cannot forget this. The man who was on the ground and the man who was pressing him on the ground shared a common denominator. Both needed the gospel. We cannot forget that. And one didn't, didn't need it more than the other. Both needed the gospel. We cannot forget that. And that's what Pastor Brandon was, was getting at. We preach the gospel to every creature. Not the creatures that we like, but to every creature. Right? So for us, the second thing would be this. As believers, we have to be wise. We do. We have to understand that the world is trying to achieve what we have in Christ, unity and love. The problem is they're trying to achieve it without Christ, and that's where we come in. They're never going to achieve love, unity, and peace outside of Christ. It's impossible. You have to be in Christ to get that, and again, that's where we come in. So, I'm going to close with this. Lori and I, we were married almost 17 years ago. Huh? 18? Oh, sorry. It's, it's way past my bedtime. And so that's, that's, yeah. 
Wait, well, Pastor, so eight, is it really almost 18? I thought it was 17. So. Time flies, you're having fun. You're right, exactly right. So, um, so I want to give you, I want to give you two perspectives of our wedding from, from two very unique people. One was my mother. My mother will be 76 years old this year. She's lived in the South most of her life. My mother came to our wedding and I went to say goodbye to her before she went back home and we left to go on our honeymoon. So I'm with my mom, just my mother and I in my house. So she's got her robe on and her hair rollers and the scarf. So she is, she is in, she is in like, this is mom, this is her. And nobody else is around except, you know, my mother and my sisters and I. So I get, I get my real mom. Here's what she said to me, and I'm just going to try and say it as best as I remember her saying it. She goes, boy, I had no idea them white folks love you like that. I was from the South. And she knows I'm marrying this white woman. So in her mind, like, what kind of wedding is this going to be? Are they going to be angry white people protesting this because they can't believe that this white woman's marrying this black man. And then I had a coworker, a guy named Conley, white man in his 60s, came to our wedding. I get back from my honeymoon, here's what he said to me. He says, man, I have never in my life seen black people and white people love each other like that. This is what I'm saying. The world, I mean, how is it that the world is going to know that we are his disciples? It's not our position on social justice. It's not any of that. It's our love. <laughs> because this is what the world is trying to figure out. We have figured it out because we're in Christ. So let's help them figure it out by bringing them to Christ. And then it clicks. Thank you, Pastor. And, uh, yes. Yeah. And we want to thank you that we're able to attend and anyone who's streaming online. Let's close with a word of prayer and then we'll be dismissed. So, Lord, God, I want to thank you that, again, this is a, a family meeting where we can come together as a local body in love and talk about some issues that are hard. But, God, I thank you that we are able to focus our attention in the lens by which we view the situation through the clarity of your word, which speaks uh, so definitively on how we should do all of life. With that said, Lord, there is a gaping hole in the soul of our communities and our world, Lord, and what they need is they need the gospel to fill that. And so I'd ask that as we have opportunity, God, as we are empowered to live lives of holiness with wisdom that comes straight from heaven, that we can speak with authority into people's lives and turn them in their thinking from seeing themselves as divided to seeing ultimately what's truly divided is them being apart from God that they'd be able to, in love, speak the truth to them, speak the truth of the gospel, and turn them from their sins towards a loving God. And God, we ask that for, for all of us here, for all of us that are listening, that we would focus on this as the mission that God has entrusted us with. God, we thank you so much for this conversation, uh, for these men here on stage that lead us, and for everyone that participates uh, with them and with you in the gospel. God, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.